Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of I Wish You Were Dead, a podcast about things that used to be alive. This is episode number 21. I am Mike. That is Gavin. And Gavin, we made it to 21. Cheers, man. We absolutely did. Clink. Uh, <laughs> clink, clink! Indeed, we agreed on the last episode that we were going we to um, uh, we were going to record this episode in honor of our twenty first episode. We were going to record this episode while having a drink, and before we started recording, I brought up brought this up to Gavin, and his response was, "Wait, we're doing that?" Right. I was like, "Wait, are are we were serious?" I'm like, "I'm down. Like, I'll go I'll go grab a beer or something." <laughs> but so we are we Absolutely. are both enjoying an adult beverage. Uh, if you are of age and it's you know you're not at work or something. Uh, feel free to do the same. Absolutely, and if you uh, if you choose not to, that is just uh, just as well with all of us. Whatever Absolutely. whatever floats your boat. What so, are you drinking, buddy? I am drinking a Sam Adams Boston Lager. It's a it's an oldie but a goodie. Absolutely, the uh, the Sam Adams. It's a uh, yeah. Maybe it's because I'm a history teacher, but big fan. <laughs> what about you? What do you got? I've got some uh, Johnny Walker Scotch. Uh, first oh, okay. time I've ever had Scotch, and I'm Classy. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I I don't think I've ever had like actual scotch. I don't I mean, even I don't know, know what that means to be honest. Um. Yeah, to be honest, <laughs> neither do I. I've only discovered in the, like the last year or so that I'm a mm. whiskey man, and uh, I gotcha. am I am slowly and clumsily exploring the world that uh, that whiskey has to offer for me. You know, it's really funny actually. Um, I think for so for. Uh, all of our listeners who don't actually know us, Mike and I and and our group of friends, we typically do like a, a secret Santa type exchange uh, every year. Obviously, we couldn't get together uh, this past year for 2020 into 21 for... You, you didn't know, get invited? Up. Uh, um, <laughs> what? what? Anyway, anyway, yeah, for, for obvious reasons, uh, we did not have uh, our, our, you know, little friend family get together. Um but let's see, I think it was 2019, no, 2018 into 2020, our friend Ricky had me. And he actually got me a book about the science of alcohol. Oh, really? Right, really. It's called Proof, uh, the Science of Liquor or al- oh, liquor name. or alcohol, I don't remember. That's a great name. Right? It's it's I haven't fully read it. I've I've perused it, but I've not fully read it. Um I've been busy over the last couple of years. <laughs> but um that's one of those books that doesn't need to be read it just needs to be kind of skimmed every now and again exactly anyway we're a couple minutes into the episode we should probably actually start talking about some science well before we get talking about uh, what, what it is today let's go ahead and talk about this week in uh, science history i'm gonna Absolutely. go with 2018 you had two chances because it's we're doing a weekend one and and you missed both <laughs> struck out on both. <laughs> you're you're gonna get one eventually i know it you do like the weekend ones week. though I don't know if it's because there's two of them or what, but you're a big fan of the weekend. Well, okay, it's mostly just because it's two chances to get an like an actual one that's kind of relevant to the podcast. Ah, uh, okay. Um, in this case, both of them are sort of related. Um, so first we have from May eighth, twenty thirteen. The headline is macaw genome sequenced. Now, if you had to say what kind of animal a macaw was, do you, do you know what that is? Uh, I mean, I hear caw, and I'm thinking bird. It is, in fact, a bird. It is a type of parrot. Okay. Oh, you know, okay. the the scarlet macaw is probably the most famous one. Uh, it's, like, pretty bright red with some blue on it. Um, I'm sure you've seen it. They use it in a lot of movies and stuff. But, sure. so, uh, yeah, 
So macaw genome sequence. So it says geneticists from Texas A&M University announced that they had successfully sequenced the full genome of the scarlet macaw, an achievement that meaningfully expands the world's understanding of avian evolution and biology and may help in conservation efforts for endangered bird species. Hmm. Okay. And so uh, let me ask you this question when it comes to this, because I know I've heard of like the human genome project that finished mm-hmm. way ahead of schedule. And, you know, we had the human right. genome mapped out. How many other species do we have that mapped out? Like, is that a routine thing? Like, oh yeah, yeah, we have the genome for every living species or, you know. Oh, not even all close. Of the big ones. Okay. Not even close. Is um, that a resources thing? Is that a like no one cares thing? Is that like, why, why don't we? Because that seems like the kind of thing we should have. Well, so it's mostly just like, what's being prioritized. Uh, I don't know specifically why, you know, they chose macaws. Macaws, specifically scarlet macaws, are very highly endangered. Um, Mm -hmm. But, so, it kind of really just depends on whoever's working on what, you know, and what tools they happen to have access to. Right. So, like, human genome, that's just obviously a benefit for everybody. That's a benefit for, like, you know, evolution stuff. That's a benefit, I'm sure, for medical stuff. Um, But, as for how many we actually have, I would think the majority of genomes that we have sequenced are actually for things like bacteria and viruses. Hmm. Just because the vast majority of scientific funding is for medical research. And those are the most medically relevant things. I guess that makes sense. And also, uh, bacterial and, and viral genomes are... Typically, I don't want to say always, but typically much, much shorter than our genome. Really? Much, much shorter. Um, I'm not sure what I would have guessed, but I guess that's interesting to know. It's it's mostly the fact that, like, uh, they, their DNA or potentially RNA in the case of viruses uh, is just laid out sort of differently. So in most eukaryotic organisms, actually, I think all eukaryotic organisms... So basically things that are not bacteria. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, we have organelles in our cells, you know, going way back to like, you know, ninth grade biology here, uh, probably even before that, honestly. But, you know, your cell has a cell wall with a bunch of organelle things inside of it that do different things. Basically organs like in your body, but in your cell. Um, bacteria are prokaryotes and don't have that. So, like, in eukaryotes, we have the nucleus of your cell, which is where all of your DNA stays. Cells, or uh, bacteria don't have that. They have what's called just a plasmid. It's essentially just, like, a little pocket of DNA that isn't sort of self-contained, like the nucleus of your cell is. Uh, it just sort of free floats sort of around, you know, that inside. That seems inefficient. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, they get by. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's just generally much shorter and that's also probably partially because bacterial cells are much, much smaller than animal cells as well. Hmm. Okay. Um, but yeah, so the the second one here is from 2019. So you were close, but not quite. Seems to be a running theme. And it's, it's a little misleading, honestly. It says, oldest known trees identified in North America. Okay. So... Now, when I when I read that, that to me sounds like the oldest fossil trees. Maybe that's just because I'm a paleontologist that I, I immediately not, think fossil. not the way I took that. But okay. Okay. How did you take <laughs> it then? I took that as like we're counting rings on living trees, and we found the one with the most rings. 
Interesting. So you mean like the oldest individual tree like that? Yes. And okay. I know that sometimes like individual trees can like that line can get more blurry than you might mm-hmm. expect. But right. that's like not that's as much my... not as much with trees as with a lot okay. of other plants. Uh, a lot of other plants, you know, there'll be like a shoot of it and then the roots underground will connect to another shoot. So it might look like they're different individuals, but they're actually the same uh, trees. Mm-hmm. Trees tend to not do that. Really? Um, okay. Yeah. Generally, trees are just Their a single. Thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, says biologists from the University of Arkansas identified what they believe to be the oldest discovered trees in North America located in a stand of cypress trees in North Carolina. The oldest was dated to at least 2,624 years old and happens to have survived both drought and flood conditions. 2,624 years, you said? Yes. So it is, they they don't really specify, but I would assume that this is a still living tree. So I believe that that's what they were getting at is the oldest living tree in North America. I didn't think that was possible yeah i i i think i'm I'm sure i've said this before on the podcast but i'm and i'm positive that i will say it again i do not understand plants (laughs) i just don't like there are so many things about plants that i just straight up do not understand and probably never will realistically wow so i all right so i looked up uh oldest living tree or list of oldest living trees on wikipedia right and the oldest one says it is 40 4900 plus years old Okay, do tell. Uh, it is uh, named Prometheus, and it is it's in Nevada, in the United States. So I guess okay, hundred percent. Yeah, we have a conflict. Uh, I'm gonna err on the side of the calendar being wrong, honestly. <laughs> um, I don't know. With science okay. things, Wikipedia actually tends to be fairly reliable, to be honest. Depending, I, I teach all of my students this. As long as you know how to use Wikipedia and you're not a dum-dum about mm-hmm. it, it is perhaps the greatest resource that has ever been, that has ever existed in human history. Oh, 100%. And like, uh, so I had to write a paper recently, and this is very much off topic for what we're talking about today, but we'll circle back to it. Uh, I'd write a paper uh, and our teacher gave us a choice. It was about uh, an isotope. So for anyone who does not know an isotope is basically an an atom. So say uh, oxygen, oxygen has eight protons. That is what makes it oxygen. An isotope is basically just when it has a different number of neutrons. Normally oxygen has eight neutrons as well. Mm -hmm. Oxygen isotopes have a different number. Um, So that's why sometimes you might hear, you hear it most often with things like carbon. So you hear if you've ever heard of like carbon 12, carbon 13, carbon 14, those are all different isotopes of carbon. Um, and so we had to basically pick an isotope for this class. And she gave us an option to either write about it in like a scientific way or in a way more geared toward like uh, a more general audience, like not writing to other scientists. So I chose that one. And uh, one of the pictures that I got was from uh, Wikipedia. And I cited it appropriately because the data and they, the, uh, I'm I'm sure it depends on the actual image, but this particular one was very explicit in, you know, where they got the data for this figure. Cause it wasn't just like a picture. It was a graph. Um, it's like, okay, we got the numbers for this graph from this paper, a paper that I had was already referencing in my thing. So I'm like, okay, I've, I've seen these data. 
uh, it, the figure that they made matches up with it, but it was not published by the people who made the paper. It was basically compiling all of their data into a figure that made more sense. Which is like exactly what Wikipedia is good for. Right. But my teacher kind of gave me crap for it. That's And I'm like, okay, I, this, this is an unpublished figure, but it's using published data that I'm also right. referencing. So what's the problem here? I'm going to get in trouble for this one of these days, but I frequently tell my students that the only people that uh, are mad about students using Wikipedia, if it's done appropriately, is like middle school English teachers that are just mm-hmm. upset that you have it easier than they did when it comes to research <laughs> projects. Like, And at some point I'm going to get in trouble for that, but I'm, you know, I maintain it. And by the way, uh, when it comes to when it comes to this, um, the tree I reference is actually dead. Ah, so, okay. yeah, so we gotcha. have the, yeah, the oldest known living tree is uh, 4,852 years old in the United States. Interesting. So either so way, the calendar is wrong. Yeah, we have, uh, yeah, Methuselah in, uh, in the I have heard of California. that one, actually. I have heard of that one. Yeah, so Interesting. Apparently, apparently that's right. But I think I can see, how old was the other uh, one you referenced? Uh, about 2,600. I believe I can see where that one is. Does it happen to be in North Carolina? Yep. Yeah, okay. So that one, that one is high up here. Okay. Um, and it is the, I looks like the second oldest one in North America that is still living. Gotcha. All right. So, yeah, cool. Uh, very cool stuff. We are talking about stuff that uh, today, uh, I don't know, living and dead, I suppose. Uh, it's been going on for a while. Gavin, do you want to introduce the actual topic that uh, that we're going over today? Absolutely. So what, one of our uh, little, you know, this week in science things talked about birds. And birds are going to be something that we talk about a bit today. But it's not going to be all about birds, because today we're talking about flight and the evolution of flying things, which is super neat and also at the same time so incredibly weird. (laughs) So uh, my first question for you, Mike, is how many different groups do you think evolved flight throughout all of, you know, Earth history? How many different groups? When you say groups, are you referring? And I know we've talked about the basically like of kinds of okay. animals. Oh goodness! Throughout human history, so no, throughout all of all of Earth. Or, I'm history. sorry, not, yep. yeah. I, when I said human history, I meant just like you that's know, just your your reflex, other, huh? Yeah, right. You know, <laughs> there's humans and there's everything else. Who cares? Um, okay. Oh goodness! So uh, like we've obviously got birds, right? There's and we've one. talked before, right? We've talked before about how like dinosaurs are related to birds. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say that those are one category for any type of flying dinosaur, um, and I'm trying to think of other things that I know that happen to fly. And mm-hmm. of course, I'm like coming up blank, like bats. Yeah, I guess um, I don't know if I'm assuming that's part of a larger category of things. Bats. Yeah, like is no, bats part bat, of it? bats are their own thing. Are they really? Okay. We we will talk about them. Interesting. All right, so we've got bats, birds. Oh, good. Yeah, I... So you're currently you're at like two and a half <laughs> out of four. I'll give you. I'll give you that. That there's four. So is dinosaurs like its own category? So the only. So it's actually a little tricky. We will talk more about that. The reason why you get a half is mm-hmm. because the things that you are thinking of are not dinosaurs. Oh goodness. And, you we've know, I, we've, you know we've talked about that. I was going to say, I, I was a little bit worried. I feel like we have talked about why. Where like, the, the things yeah. that most people would call pterodactyls 
right are, are not dinosaurs yes we and we have mentioned that before yes so those are those are three of the four mm-hmm. and there's one more flying is it because is this going to be something where i'm going to be really upset once you tell me because i should have gotten yes a- it is <sighs> literally the largest group of the most diverse group of animals by a lot the most diverse group of animals by a lot I would have thought that would have been something under the ocean. Uh, all right. I, I will take it and I will slam the table. What what am I missing? Insects. Son of... Yep. Yep. By far, the most diverse group of animals. Insects. Those yes. little so, bugs. So let's, let's talk about them and, and how each of them are different. So uh, I will say up front, this is going to be focusing more on the vertebrates. You know, the birds, pterosaurs, not pterodactyls, pterosaur is the proper term, uh, and bats, mm-hmm. because those are the ones that I personally know the best. Insects are so just incredibly weird and crazy. We will talk about them, but we will probably be focusing more on uh, the vertebrates. So how are they different? So you think, okay, well, they all fly, so they must have some kind of thing in common, right? And so at least with the three vertebrate groups, pretty much the only things that they have in common, besides, you know, being vertebrates, are generally pretty light bones and, um, you know, a really big sternum. Other than that, that's kind of it. When you say light bones... Is, like are they just less dense i've heard i've heard like hollow bones i don't know if it's like if that's just not a thing when we say light bones what are we talking about generally it means that there are instead of having solid bones like you or i do i mean not truly solid because the inside of your bone is you know pretty porous and kind of spongy actually mm-hmm. um but what flying vertebrates do is they turn just that big tube of where it's like hard on the outside and then spongy on the inside. Mm-hmm. They further compress like the spongy parts into struts inside the bone hmm. so that there are spots inside the bone that are not taken up by the spongy material, which is still bone. So it's still pretty dense uh, in, right. you know, mammals like you and me. Um, but because they put it into these struts, they make it, you know, about as, you know, structurally sound while being a lot lighter. Okay. So it seems like it's just a more efficient way of, uh, of doing bone. Right. And it's like, it is very good for the kinds of stresses involved with flying. It is not very good. You know, you can snap a chicken bone just sort of very easily with, with your hands without much force. So they, so I've tend, heard. yeah, they, they tend to be more brittle but for the kind of stresses that flying puts on the bones, just as strong as, uh, you know, if, if they were not, you know, lightened in this way. Birds sort of do it a little weird. And this is also kind of a dinosaur thing because there are quite a few dinosaurs that do this too. Um, but they birds actually do have air sacs in some of their bones. Hmm. As part of, not and not just like a ball of air, it is part of their breathing system. Oh goodness! Really? And like, I am not gonna what? go into. Uh, yeah, I'm not gonna go into all that. We can do an entire episode about birds. Can I would we love please? that. Yeah. Um, so I'm not gonna go into that super in depth here, but basically, it's so that they constantly have fresh air in their lungs. Birds have probably 
by far the most like sophisticated and efficient breathing system of any living vertebrates there it is crazy how efficient bird respiration is which makes sense because they need so much more energy which you get by breathing you know that's like how your body produces energy is it needs the oxygen from it from the air that you breathe um mm-hmm. and if you have you know roughly 50 percent of the time you have stale air in your lungs right because you breathe in and out in and out birds sort of do it in like a loop system so there's much more frequently fresh air in their lungs um again not going to go super into all the physiology behind it but it's crazy uh and that involves some air sacs in their bones but uh yeah like i said birds do a little weird that that's a thing that they actually got from dinosaurs so uh, other than that, that that's basically all they have in common. Uh, and they have the big sternum uh, or a big keel on their sternum is, is what it's called. Basically to attach big muscles for flapping, you know, your pec muscles, essentially. Mm-hmm. They make those nice and big, which is why, you know, chicken breasts are very frequently eaten by people because that's just a big hunk of meat. And chickens can't even fly that well. Granted, we've bred them to have big you know, breast because we like to eat it, but, uh, things, you know, bigger, more flighted birds, massive, massive muscles there. And because they're so big, they need a big bone to be able to attach to that won't break under the stress that they impart on it while flying. That makes, that makes total sense. The, Mm -hmm. you know, having a bigger, you know, if there's going to be one bone that was going to be big and sturdy, you know, it'd be the bone that you need to attach, you know, all that muscle to. That make, like that makes total sense. I never would have... When you first said that, I was like, I wonder why that is. But that makes mm-hmm. total sense. And we'll also talk a bit about bird legs uh, in, in a little bit here. But we'll focus on sort of the arms for now. Um, so each of these four groups have vastly different wings. We will circle around to insect wings later because those are the craziest. But um, so with, you know, the vertebrates, you know... With, with it, It's not like they grew an extra set of limbs f- to be their wings. So they basically just turned their arms into wings, right? Okay. But they did it in very, yeah. very different ways. Hmm. Okay. So, they, so they, they both wound up in the same place by turning their arms into wings, but they did it in different ways. Right. So huh. uh, birds, it's a little controversial with birds, but most people say that they ditched their pinky... And their ring finger. They no longer have those two fingers. They fuse all the bones sort of in your hand that aren't your fingers. Those, you know, your uh, metacarpals. Right. What those are called. They fuse those all up into one sort of solid mass. And that's something you'll find that a lot of uh, flying organisms do is they fuse up bones also to help with that structural uh, integrity while lightening them. Um. And that includes the fingers. They fuse their two remaining fingers together. So their pointer finger and their middle finger fuse those together. And then their thumb is reduced to just one bone that controls one single feather called the alula. And that sort of helps them decide the shape of their wing as they're flying and, and sort of change that. It helps them just have better control over the, over their wing. Right. Um, and so because it's, fused like that the only sort of motion that they have left in their hand at all is sort of 
uh, if you were to hold your arm straight out to your side at like shoulder height. That's exactly what I'm doing right now. Move your wrist forward and backward. Mm-hmm. That is sort of the only range of motion that they have in their hand. The rest of their wing is very highly controlled with lots and lots of small muscles. Uh, but in their hand, that's sort of it. They can also sort of rotate their wrist a little bit, but not too mm-hmm. much. I just um, want to be sure that I'm understanding this here. When you're mm-hmm. saying that I can you know, move my wrist up and down, that is not like the flapping of the wings. Is no, it? no, no, no. I didn't think so. Okay. That's just sort of changing the shape of the wing, essentially. Right, 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 right. So next we have bats. So bats, uh, if you've ever seen a bat skeleton, you probably know this or even just sort of seen a picture of a bat. They I'm just make Google that right now. They just make all of their fingers, except for their thumb. So they make their four long fingers even longer. They just make them real long. Oh, yeah. I have seen this stuff before, and it's mm-hmm. creepy and awesome. It's super creepy. It. Yep. They just make them real long, and they stretch a bunch of skin uh, in between them. And so the skin is called uh, a patagium, or plural patagia. So they have uh, patagia between each of their fingers, between uh, weirdly their wrist and their shoulder they have a flap of skin as well that sort of comes across the inside part of the elbow Mm -hmm. they have uh, a patagium from the end of their pinky to their foot which is sort of the one of the main parts of the wings and then also a patagium between each of their feet and their tail as well so they are basically just a i've heard bats described as toothpicks wrapped in tissue paper And I think I love that's that a, description. I think it's a pretty fair description. Um, if if you guys get the chance, uh, definitely go look up bat skeleton. There's a, a, it's you know, a million so different weird. pictures, and like that that does fit just how long and skinny those mm-hmm. those bones are. Like yeah, toothpicks. And it's not just their fingers that get real long. All of the bones in their arm get real long. Their humerus isn't super long, so like their upper arm bone isn't super elongated. Uh, but they're from their elbow to their wrist, super super long. Um, and then, like I said, their thumb is not extended. That still has a claw on it. And that's, they sort of, when they're, some of them do like crawl around on the ground. In fact, that's how like vampire bats eat. They actually kind of hop around on the ground and nibble at like the ankles of cattle and drink their blood. So they don't just like land on things and bite their necks like that. That's typically not how they feed. Um, but, you know, bats that sort of cling to walls and things, they sort of uh, bring in their fingers, essentially like they're making a thumbs up right? So your four fingers are sort of curled in on themselves. And then they basically just like cling with their thumb. Okay. Um, Yeah, so that's that's how bats do it. Um, And then pterosaurs, they basically ditch their pinky finger, so they no longer have a pinky. And instead of they, they do like a half bird, half bat, in that they extend only one finger they extend their ring finger to be like longer than the entire rest of their body (laughs) and then stretch one big flap of skin depending it depends on the group but typically from the end of their ring finger to their hip ish okay um but that leaves their thumb pointer and ring or uh, middle finger free to walk around on because pterosaurs were actually quadrupedal Really? So they yeah. walked on four feet, four legs? Right. So they basically, uh, and I I think that this, I'm fairly confident that's, that this next part is true because I don't know how else they would do it, but they basically reverse the joint for their ring finger so that instead of folding down like the other three fingers, it folds up. 
Oh, oh mm. I mean, that be, well, feels like be, it hurts. Ow. I mean, for them, probably no. But no, I, like for them, it's fine. But for, it's like, ugh. right, because they have in order to like fold their wing up, sort of against mm-hmm. the rest of their body, while the rest of their hand is sort of facing down, like palm down. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how they do their wing, and then insects. Ooh boy. Um, <laughs> this seems like a, so. Before you even get started, this yeah. seems like a category that is so broad that like you would need to talk about them in subcategories, mm-hmm. or or are they really all you know kind of similar in um, in that respect? So each of these realistically should have their own episode, but we're going to talk about just sort of like how they got to be that way because. Frankly, with the exception of birds, we're not entirely sure how the other three groups got to be that way hmm. because we don't have good transitions for them. We don't really, you know, especially before DNA. So, I mean, that also sort of goes into like the macaw, you know, genome sequencing that we were talking about earlier. Before DNA, right. we had no idea where bats sort of fell on like the mammal family tree. We had right. absolutely no idea. And it's, it's only since we've started doing more DNA sequencing that we've actually sort of figured it out. Um, but yeah, so bats are probably most closely related to things like shrews. We had thought that they were in a, that they were in a group with rodents and primates. Uh, but that turned out not to be the case when, with DNA. Um, yeah, so they're not even all that closely related to, to rodents, um, which kind of surprised me. I, I had always sort of learned that. But they're yeah, not, yeah. not all that closely related. Yeah, I mean, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. So birds, as we've talked about, are reptiles. Um, they are archosaurian reptiles, which means that's basically the group that includes birds, dinosaurs, uh, pterosaurs, and crocodilians. Which means that archosaurs are the only group to produce two different flying groups. Which is really weird. Yeah. Um, and then in- oh, the go only ahead. Go one. On. Like no, just that they're the only one. You'd think mm-hmm. if one was gonna do it, more than one would do it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then insects are arthropods. They are so weird with how they fly. Um, I will I will dedicate some time in a little bit about when talk about how they evolved flight with talking about some of their flight mechanics, but I'm sure you've probably heard things like you know, we don't understand the physics behind like how bees fly. Like physics says that like bumblebees, for example, shouldn't be able to fly. I've always kind of assumed that like that was just BS, but is it true? Yeah. yeah yes. And no, um, I'm neither a physicist nor an entomologist, which is what you call someone who studies insects. Um, so I don't know how true that is. I know that there are many other types of insects where it's like, you flap your wings faster than nerves can process and information. That so, seems really fast. Y- yes. Some insects like, like just regular houseflies flap their wings in the like hundreds of times per second, which, which is, is faster than nerves. Way can faster. Move than, okay. Yes. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about that in a, in a bit. So that's sort of the structure of at least the three vertebrates with, with insects, their, their wings are, Kind of varied, honestly, but they're 
structured similarly to their legs, which is a little foreshadowing for later. Um, so, you know, we talked about these three groups. They fly a little bit about the, the shape of their wings. But why why would things fly to begin with? What What would make them fly? What do you think? So I'm trying to... I'm trying to think here of different reasons they could fly. Number one, it could be that they have a food source that is high up. So, you know, for a similar reason that, at least I think, that giraffes have evolved uh, long necks, maybe other animals took a different approach to get to food that was up high. Um, another pro- another reason could be if they're living on, let's say, islands, mm-hmm. and they need to, you know, there's they need, need to kind of hop around islands or just different areas of land that are surrounded by water or mostly surrounded by water, they need to be able to get around. Um, or they're just not well suited to extreme cold or extreme heat, and they needed a way to like, get from extreme cold to extreme heat and then back again, you know, every six months or so. Okay. And so flight was sort of the, you know, the best way to do it. I Those other, those second two strike me as kind of poor reasons. Mm-hmm for evolution to get involved because just the way at least i understand evolution i wouldn't think that like that would be the solution that would you know that would just kind of naturally right evolve or anything else so i'm going to go with the food reason or to evade prey i guess it'll be kind of the my addendum to that one that is pretty much right and granted um as i think i sort of alluded to earlier uh the fossil records for most of these groups are not good. So it's it's not like we can have a great record to be like, okay, these other things were happening at the same time mm-hmm. to sort of maybe be like, okay, this, this new predator showed up. You know, maybe that sort of drove them to do, you know, X thing. It's really hard to say that when the transitional fossils for three of these four groups are just don't exist. Um. <laughs> So for three of the four, holy crap. Wow. Right. We have transitional fossils for birds, which we'll talk about a bit, but for bats, uh, pterosaurs and insects, we just don't have them. Uh, a big part of it is that like bats don't tend to preserve especially well. Cause like we said, you know, if you drop a toothpick wrapped in tissue paper on the ground, it's going to fall apart. The tissue paper, you mean? Well, like I said, with bats, you know, bats are essentially mm-hmm. toothpicks wrapped in tissue paper. Right. If you take that that bundle and just mm-hmm. drop it on the floor of a forest, it's going to fall apart pretty quickly. Right. And as we've talked about, in order for things to become fossilized, they need to be buried pretty quickly. Um, and generally, these groups don't tend to live in places that do that very easily. Mm-hmm. So that's part of it. And then another part of it is that, like, it just happened very, very quickly. And there's a reason that things like clams have a great fossil record is because most species of clams are around for a really long time. Whereas these transitional fossils, just because they're around for such a short amount of time, is because, uh, or, yeah, we have poor fossils on them because they're around for such a short, short amount of time. There just wasn't a lot of time for there to be a lot of different individuals to be fossilized to begin with. If that makes sense. Can you say it one more time? Basically, it, the, the shorter of, a, of an amount of time that 
a species is around for, the right. less of a chance there is for it to become a fossil. That makes sense. And when you say um, like less amount of time that it's around for, mm-hmm. do you mean the lifespan of an individual organism or just no. like the total amount of time that a species has existed? Right. The total amount of time for a species just because... It, that of, makes total sense. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from everything that we can tell, these things went from not flying to flying very, very quickly. Because with the exception of birds, the things that we think are like pterosaur ancestors or bat ancestors were very much not flying and didn't have a lot of the things that make bats bats, you know, they just didn't have a lot of the same features. So they must have developed those features very quickly. Um, And I, I keep saying birds are sort of the exception because, you know, we have dinosaurs with feathers. Most dinosaurs have, uh, you know, those kind of quote unquote hollow bones. Uh, you know, they have generally bigger, powerful legs, which, uh, as I sort of mentioned earlier, uh, at least the group of dinosaurs that birds came from walked on two legs. So they had to have, and, and you know, these even smaller group that birds came from tended to be pretty quick, fast running animals. So they had Mm -hmm. sort of these relatively big, beefy legs. Um, And that becomes kind of important because, you know, to get into the air, you know, you don't flap yourself into the air generally, at least not with birds. Oh, wait, really? Yeah. So there's there's a reason also that drumsticks are also a really popular piece of bird meat. They have these big chonky legs because birds literally jump their own height or higher and then start flapping. Really? If you ever watch like a slow motion video of like a pigeon taking off, they will jump about their own height and then flap, you know, three or four times or more in a, in the first like couple seconds of takeoff. And then they're, they're good to go. Um, bats generally don't need to do that because they when they are not flying they're typically hanging from a tree or something so they can just kind of drop and then pick up from there uh there's some exceptions like i said with the vampire bats that kind of do hang out on the ground a little bit um they have to sort of push up themselves off the ground a little bit or sometimes they'll just go find something to climb and then drop from it and fly okay and for a long time oh go ahead I was just going to say, but like, regardless, it sounds like there's very little that, um, there's very little flying species of birds or anything else that just like starts flapping. Like they either fall or they jump up or like something happens where like the flapping comes second, which is wild. Insects probably do like, they probably start off flapping, but everything with insects is weird. So, Mm -hmm. um, and then with pterosaurs, and this is actually a relatively recent discovery, you know, in the last probably decade or so, because we used to think, you know, most of the places where we find pterosaur fossils are generally kind of coastal environments. So we had kind of assumed that they lived mostly on cliffs and then would have to like jump off the cliffs in order to fly. Because of the, you know, four groups that can fly, they are the best at sort of just like existing on the ground. 
Mm-hmm. So it's like if they had to sort of walk around until they found a cliff to jump off of, they could probably do that. Right. However, uh, a, a more recent sort of model. So somebody, you know, analyzed a bunch of skeletons and, you know, came up with like a, a 3D model that essentially they just do like a super push up. <laughs> really? And a super push up. Yep. So they just super push up themselves off the ground. And then spread out their arms. So they, they, you know, like I said, how birds can jump their own height. Mm-hmm. Pterosaurs, we think, and again, with, because it's an entirely fossil group, we don't have any living pterosaurs, obviously. Right, we can't this be sure, is, but... This, this is all theoretical, right? But this evidence seems pretty convincing. That they could essentially push up themselves, their own height, spread out their wings, and then start flapping. <laughs> that's amazing yeah and why can't we do that man that's amazing that leads me into uh something else that i'll talk about in a second um but so with, with pterosaurs it makes it really convenient because your takeoff muscles also help with flying with birds not so much right because it's like legs and i imagine that when it comes to strictly flying, legs are going to be more of a drag than anything else. Not as much a drag as it, like, like they don't, you know, make it fly slower as much as just, like, heavy weight that you are no longer currently using. Right. There are some exceptions with things like, you know, falcons. You know, they mm-hmm. use their legs in hunting. Um, and falcons typically mm-hmm. eat other birds. So falcons will just fly really high, dive at them. And then basically just punch them real hard as they're flying. <laughs> oh, God. And then knock the bird out. And then they, you know, come down and finish the job and have a meal. Um, other birds, you know, such as like eagles and things that sort of grab fish from lakes and ponds. It does help with like their food, but it doesn't really help with their flying. But with pterosaurs, you know, it's all in one convenient package. So that potentially uh, some people and the evidence for this, I haven't seen be super well supported, but that's sort of evidence that some people have pointed to, to why pterosaurs were able to get so much bigger than the biggest flighted birds that we know of. Say that again. So pterosaurs on average are much, much bigger. bigger. Why were they bigger than the biggest flighted birds that we know of? Right. Because... They didn't have to, they could afford to be bigger and still fly because all of their muscles, you know, having bigger takeoff muscles also helped in flying and supporting their bigger weight. Whereas if a bird needs these big honking chunky legs just to get off the ground, they can only get so big and still be able to fly. So that's why birds are small, generally speaking. Right. This, this is always, yeah, this is. Again, I haven't seen this be super well supported, but that's what some people have sort of speculated about. Because, like, the largest pterosaurs were, like, small plane-sized. Like, 20-plus foot wingspans, not uncommon. Usually, some quite a bit larger than that, actually. And that was all, like... So, because they had bigger, you know a bigger flying apparatus, you know, their body was mm-hmm. set up to do that. They could, you know, lift up more weight, which is why they were able to get larger than today's birds and bats 
and insects. That That is what is claimed. Insects are a completely different thing. There is something else right, okay. that limits insects. But, gotcha. Um, but yeah, with, with bats and birds, that's, again, not incredibly well supported from what I've seen, but what some people have talked about. All right, so it is it is a hypothesis and not necessarily mm-hmm. uh, to be taken as fact at this point. On uh, We are recording this on May 4th, 2021. It's currently 10.02 <laughs> p.m. If further information comes out, we will cover it. I'm sure we will. Um, so another thing that is sort of like still going off this question that I had before. So why, why would things fly? Why would they evolve as sort of a side effect of that is flying species tend to be some of the most diverse groups. So I guess flying groups tend to be much more diverse than non-flying groups. For example, bats are not the most diverse mammals, but the second most diverse mammals, even still, they make up like 20% of all mammals. Bats are very, very diverse. Wait, say that again. Wait, that bats make up bats make up twenty percent of all mammals. Yep. Okay, so there's a couple different ways that could be defined in my head. One, One out of five is, mammals is a bat. But when you say that, like, are we talking about just like every mammal ever? So like, you and I would count as two different mammals. No, in, or, ter- in okay. terms of species. Different species. Okay, that was I was trying to figure out mm-hmm. exactly what that meant to me. But even still, mm-hmm. what? Oh yeah, only Why? only rodents. Why? Only more. Only rodents are more diverse than them. Wait, there's one that's more than bats. Yeah, rodents are crazy, but that's amazing. But they they don't fly. We're not talking about them. Uh, not b- yet. Birds are the most diverse tetrapods, so vertebrates that live on land. Uh, so they have. So bats, for reference, have about fourteen hundred different species. Birds, depending on who you ask, um, there's a very large philosophical question in biology. It's just like, what even is a species? Again, totally different topic, but depending on what species concept you use, there are somewhere between 9,000 and 18,000 species of birds. Again, relative to the 1,400 species of bats. Wow. So, yeah, that's those two. Pterosaurs... It's hard to say from an entirely extinct group how many there were, but we do know that they were around for a real long time. So just because they're extinct doesn't mean that they were bad at doing their thing. They were around for like 150 million years. That seems like a while. It's a very long time. So just because they're not around anymore doesn't mean that they were bad. Uh, and then insects, like we've talked about, are the majority of animals. Insects make up more than 50% of all animals. Insects make up 50% of all animals? Slightly more. Again, depending on what species that actually, you're using. I actually buy that, just con- like how many little bugs there are. Right, exactly. But a big part of why each of these groups are so diverse, or so it has been thought, is because they can fly. You know, that opens up a lot of different places for you to go. You know, especially for things like insects, you know, you can have insects that only operate in the tops of trees. You can have insects that operate on the ground, but can still fly to get away from, you know, predators and things. And right. uh, not just that, but you, it opens yourself. You can just move much faster and disperse yourself across a larger area. And that's how evolution happens. Just from, you know, one population splitting into different populations that can no longer breed. That's essentially how new species are made. 
Um, mm-hmm. So if you can spread yourself over a larger area, you have a better chance of forming new species. And that's most likely why each of these groups are so diverse. Um, but as you sort of talked about, like, why can't we fly? Why, if flying so cool and flying so beneficial in the way that birds do this, why, why doesn't everything fly? I've had a lot of things like this. Like, why can't humans do a lot of things? But today mm-hmm. we'll just stick it to flying. Right. So go ahead. T- tell me why it is not beneficial for humans, for example, to have evolved flying. Why it's not beneficial. Oh, I thought you were going to ask me why, like, why we can't fly. And I was like, well, like, we're too, like, our bones are too heavy. Like, we, we right, but why, why is it not beneficial? Right. If, if flying is so good, so, it, it lets you escape predators so efficiently. It lets you get food that you couldn't otherwise get. It lets you just travel a lot faster than you could otherwise. So if it's so cool, why hasn't everything evolved the ability to fly? I mean, I think I just like to blame Charles Darwin for being a jerk. But besides (laughs) that, uh, I'm going to go with the fact that humans were able to evade predators and get food uh, reasonably well as is without needing to be able to fly. And so there was just, you know, evolution, you know, doesn't have a brain or a thought process, but there was just no need to for for humans to evolve because like we had it covered as is, you know, while being on the ground. That's, that's kind of my hypothesis. That is exactly right. That is perfect. Okay. More or less exactly how evolution works just because doing X thing or developing, you know, X body part into Y body part would be beneficial. Doesn't automatically mean that that's going to happen. Right. It's not needed. And also, like you said, you know, the fact that the bone, you know, the bones uh, that are required to fly in birds and bats and everything, like, that does take, like, there is a cost to evolving that. And there absolutely so, is. Right. It is, as much as I would like to be able to fly, and, like, I'd make that trade, you know, <laughs> humans as a species, it, it, that would be a rather significant trade-off based on what you've described to me. Like, we just wouldn't mm-hmm. be all that durable of a species, you know, terrestrially. Right. And... The, the biggest thing is that you sort of mentioned there is cost, mostly energy cost, because birds, you know, especially considering that birds are reptiles, they are, they have by far the fastest metabolism of any reptiles, faster metabolisms than most mammals. Really? Yeah. Like, you know, if you don't feed your dog for like a couple days, it'll be fine. Like it'll be hungry. I mean, and don't do this. Don't not feed your dog. But yeah. Like we are against starving your dog on this podcast and outside of this podcast, frankly. Right. But it's like, if, if you didn't feed your dog for even say like a week, it'd be miserable. It would be very unhappy. It'd probably be kind of weak, but it would be alive. A bird. If you, if a bird does not eat like every day, probably multiple times a day, it will die. Hmm. So that that's why people who keep birds as pets, like blow my mind. Especially people like falconers, because um, you know <laughs> you, you see you see people with you know falcons or eagles and things, and you're like, oh, cool bird, man. Uh, right. But it's like you only see them do the cool tricks with it. You don't see the four times a day that they have to feed it, because that's how much right. energy birds need to be able to maintain the metabolism, to be able to have the energy to always fly at a moment's notice. Similar thing with bats. You know, there's a reason that bats, you know, eat several thousand insects a night. Several thousand? I mean, I'm sure it depends, but like they eat probably like their own body weight a day. 
That's awesome. Right? Why can't I do that? Why can't we? Why haven't we evolved to be able to do that? Because we don't fly. You know. I mean, I'm sure if I'm you. I'm going back to blaming Darwin on this. Darwin could have just invented evolution different, and we'd be all set. <laughs> okay, but here's here's the thing though. I'm sure if you ran nonstop every second that you were awake, you'd probably be able to eat significantly more food than you currently do a day. Um, I would co-sign onto that. That seems logical. Because, I mean, think about it, especially things like hummingbirds are an extreme example because hummingbirds eat like more than their body weight in food a day, which is a lot easier when you're really small. Right. To be fair. But But even still, like it's like, you know, it's not like, you know, things like hawks and eagles, they can sort of just spread their wings out and then and kind of chill and just kind of move very slowly, which is very energy efficient. Things like hummingbirds that flap their wings, you know dozens if not hundreds of times per second yeah they if if they do not get food every like 15 to 20 minutes while they are awake they die i guess that makes them like that's that is rather energy intensive Mm -hmm. like yeah i get you know gotta hand it to them i guess that makes sense so that is probably the biggest cost is that flying is just very very expensive energetically as well mm-hmm. as the things that you talked about with making you way less durable. You know, if right. you hit, you know, if, if you like flick, you know, a cat or a dog, it'll be fine. It might be a little annoyed. If you flick a bird on its wing, that could like break part of its wing. Which could mean, death. which means the bird dies pretty right. much. So lots and lots of reasons to fly. Lots and lots of reasons to not fly. So how did flight even evolve, if that's the case then? How did this sort of happen? With birds, like I said, we actually have a good path. We, we have a good path of dinosaur to like sort of bird to like full bird. We have lots of dinosaurs that very clearly did not fly that have feathers. Feathers probably evolved for either some kind of display. You know, you know, a male has similar to birds today, have like bright feathers trying to impress the ladies. Um, <laughs> or potentially, uh, they more, more likely they evolved for, uh, thermoregulation, being able to keep some heat in, uh, as well. We even have dinosaurs with, you know, long feathery arms that did not fly. We think that they sort of use these either for, again, like display and attracting mates and things or potentially covering their nest better. Right. And then, you know, they, we have sort of the transition between, uh, things like Archaeopteryx, which most people sort of know as the first bird, even though we've since found some ones that are a little older than that. And there's actually been some studies that say Archaeopteryx probably couldn't fly very well at all. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so we have a very clear transition. You know, there were dinosaurs with feathers, including very small dinosaurs with feathers. And for a very long time, the hypothesis was that they started off gliding from tree to tree and that the feathers helped them glide. And then eventually, you know, maybe they needed to glide a farther distance. So they threw a little flappy action in there and that, you know, over thousands and thousands of generations that led to true powered flight. Like we see in birds today, which intuitively makes kind of sense. Cause it's like, you're already in the air, right? Right. However, 
that is no longer sort of what we think happened with birds. And okay, I, I've, I've, I've heard this phrased as, so there, there's sort of two different schools of thought. There is the tree down, meaning you start in the trees and you then were able to fly, or the ground up, meaning you started terrestrially and then you started flapping and then you could fly. Can and I ask one question ahead of time? Yeah. Is it, are they mutually exclusive? Like, does it have to be one or the other or is both, are both of those like, like, could they have both happened? So based on the evidence that we have, we're pretty sure that at least the lineage for birds only evolved flight once. Mm-hmm. So, so that, that would make it mutually exclusive. Then, right. Um, that is the best evidence that we have. I've often sort of questioned whether that was actually true, but you know, this is not the, the group that I study. So I'll, I'll trust the people who's, who spend more time on this than I do. Right. Um, but so the, the way I've heard it phrased is that the tree down sounds so obvious that everything else sounds stupid. <laughs> okay. Because it just, like I said, makes way more sense. It's like you're already in the tree. You're already gliding through the air. It makes sense that you just, again, throw some actual flapping action in there and then you're able to fly. That just sounds so obvious that starting on the ground and then being able to fly sounds like it doesn't even make sense. However, that's sort of not what we think anymore. We think that it actually was the ground up sort of. So, so the not obvious answer happens to be the one that is currently in vogue at the very least. Right. And again, this is something that is still pretty controversial within, you know, the, the people that study this. So this is not a settled thing, but from the evidence that I've seen from what I've been taught, um, it does seem like the ground up makes more sense, especially when you're considering things like Archaeopteryx, because a lot of the very first bird ish things still had these really long, pretty beefy legs. So the current thought is that they sort of already had these long feathers on their arms for display or covering their eggs or things that we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as they were sort of running up hills or things like that, they started flapping their arms and then were able to sort of jump farther because of that. Okay. So they used it to sort of help power themselves forward a little bit almost. Right, and eventually that just keeps going and going until like exactly. flight. Okay, right. I I guess that makes some amount of sense. And so the reason why, and you know, listeners, you can see we're probably we're getting close to an hour here. The reason why I've been talking so much about birds is because for like I've mentioned for the other three groups, we don't have any. <laughs> we have we have that nice transition <laughs> with birds. We don't like I said, we barely know what group bats are closest related to. With pterosaurs, it's like we think their closest relatives are dinosaurs. (laughs) But it's like the first time we see something that is vaguely pterosaur-like, we're pretty sure it can already fly. The first fossil bat that we see, we're pretty sure it can already fly. And so there's just no, like, there's not like that very nice, slow, gradual progression. It's like, oh, wow, bats. Right. It's like you go from little shrew-like thing to bat, geologically, overnight. And so we we don't really know how they, 
the other groups got to be the way they are. We don't really even have great hypotheses for bats or uh, pterosaurs. With bats, we have a little better than with pterosaurs. We think that bats may actually have started uh, as... um, Like, they may actually have been, like, the tree down sort of thing, just because, you know, some of their uh, close relatives do live in trees. Like, we we know that. Um, The first fossil bats that we have still had claws at the end of each of their still already super long fingers. So it's like they may have used those for gripping trees and climbing them to be able to jump off. Um, So with bats, that's probably the best evidence that we have, like slightly leads toward already being in trees having longer fingers with skin between them in order to glide from tree to tree but there are lots of you know mammals that have big flaps of skin that are used to glide you know things like sugar gliders things like flying squirrels right that's do fine you know they don't Mm -hmm. they don't fly (laughs) they don't even i was gonna say is that like i'm assuming that has nothing to do with flying like that is that has nothing to do with flying right okay and it might make more sense if we found some kind of like truly flying squirrel because you know flying squirrels are are called that because they glide they don't actually fly right if we found a type of squirrel in the fossil record that could actually fly maybe there'd be a lot more credence to a tree down hypothesis but as of right now it's like eh, we, we don't really know um and then with pterosaurs how they just got that one super long finger we yeah, we don't know we have no idea <laughs> <laughs> um and so with insects i've been saying that we're going to circle around to it and we are now circled uh so All right. insects a did flying way before anybody else. Like insects started flying around the same time that vertebrates like came on land. That makes sense just because I'm assuming they're smaller and were around first and just like would have had more time to get to that point. Um, I'm trying to think when, when insects first, or at least, you know, arthropods first started coming on land. Um, I'd say not quite. So I'd say like the time between when arthropods came on land to when insects started flying was a little shorter than when vertebrates came on land and pterosaurs started to fly because pterosaurs were the first vertebrate flyers. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say that time was a little shorter, but not by a ton. Um, hmm. And around the time when insects started to fly, they were bigger than they are today. Um, not by a ton. They would get very much larger. Um, a little bit later, but yeah, I don't, size might've had a little bit to do with it, but I don't think that was the main thing. Uh, cause if you think so about so- with, with insects, you know, if you're the, the main thing about the tree down hypothesis was like, you know, if you already live in the trees and you want to be able to jump to get, you know, something that's trying to eat you in the trees, you want to be able to jump and then not die. <laughs> that would be the goal. Uh, that's not a thing with insects. Insects, you can drop them from any height and they will be fine. I'm assuming it's because their terminal velocity is so low that it's just not going to kill them. That is correct. Um, so yeah, they can jump from the tallest tree on the planet and hit the ground below it and be completely fine. Might be a little like stunned, but it'll live. Uh, so that wasn't really a thing. 
And so as I mentioned, insects do flying super weird in that they do it sort of two different ways. There are some, the, the ones that flap their wings faster than like the nerves should, theoretically should be able to process it. Mm-hmm. They, you would think, you know, they, they would need muscles to flap their wing, right? That just intuitively makes sense. I'm assuming you're going to tell me that's not the case, but yeah. Not directly anyway. <laughs> there are two different kinds of insect flight. There's direct flight and indirect flight. I'm sure that's not the proper terms, but that's how I've heard it phrased. Ones, on. one, this planet's so weird, man. Oh, I know. Ones that fly with direct flight are things like your dragonflies, uh, things like most like beetles and things, um, where they have muscles, you know, inside their exoskeleton that do flap their wings, you know, similar muscul- uh, musculature f- for like their legs, for example. But things like flies and bees have indirect uh, flight where their muscles flex their exoskeleton instead of their wings. Wait, what? So they flex their exoskeleton so incredibly fast that I've also heard it phrased that, you know, because this action is so much faster than a nerve can hypothetically do that, it's much more like an on or off switch. So it's like, I am flying, I am not flying. So it's not like they're thinking like, flap 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 like a bird might right it's like okay flight on flight off and it's just a such fast twitch thing that it's like insects are just so incredibly weird that's not the best way of explaining it but that is how it has been explained to me so are there bones they don't have bones Uh, yeah i was gonna yeah i yeah they wow yeah wow okay yeah i so that, not, that I'm is sorry. I don't have words. I don't have, I, I'm supposed to be like the, like the straight man, dumb guy here that asks questions. And I'm like, Oh, I don't know how that works. But like, I don't mm-hmm. even have anything like that's no, that's amazing. It, it really is. And so that's part of the reason why, like, I'm kind of avoiding talking about insects a lot in this episode, because I don't know how they work. And it freaks me out. Uh, Who should know how they, work? they don't even know how they work. But we do have actually some better hypotheses about how they formed their wings than we do with bats or pterosaurs. Um, sort of conversely to that, actually, at least we know what limb bats and pterosaurs t- made their wing from. We know that they made it from their arms. Right. With insects, we're like, did, did you used to have an extra set of legs that you turned into wings? Like, what even is that? With insects, we don't even really know. Did their wings used to be legs? It's got veins and things in them. So it's, you know, not like it's just like a a piece of, you know, exoskeleton. They just like flap, flap, flap. You know, there's veins. So it's like, could it have been a leg? That's like a hypothesis that I don't think is super well supported these days. Mm -hmm. Um, Something that is potentially more supported and I think probably, I think the leading hypothesis these days is that it is left over from uh, many of the oldest or, you know, most quote unquote primitive groups of insects have uh, aquatic larvae. Aquatic larvae. Right. Things like dragonflies, you know, dragonfly nymphs live in the water. And then right. when they're ready to mature, they like climb out on like a, a cattail or something, molt, and they suddenly have wings. Again, Insects are not my thing. 
but that is more <laughs> or less how it works. Um, so, but because they live underwater, they have to have gills, right? Right. Presumably. Yeah. <laughs> um, so a lot of them actually have muscles attached to their gills because otherwise, you know, you've probably heard sort of the myth that like sharks can't breathe if they're not moving. I actually haven't, but I'll trust you. Okay, that that was that's sort of a relatively common thing, and it's like that's true for some sharks, but not quite. But basically, in order for gills to work, you need to have water flowing over them, essentially. Okay, there has to be like new oxygen going. You know, it's dispersed in the water that's going by their gills. I assume exactly. Okay. Uh, so a, a way that a lot of insects or or even some like uh, like salamanders that have gills as well, uh, the way they sort of get around that is they just put some muscles on their gills and they sort of flap them to move them through the water instead of moving water over them. Hmm. Do you see where I'm sort of going with this here? No, help me out here. Finish, finish the story for me. The thought is that from these very primitive insect ancestors, when they would mature, they would keep their gills and over time, somehow turned those gills into wings. Because things were passing over them? Like the water was Because passing over they them. already had the musculature there. Wow. Wow. That... Be because there's, there's been some other hypotheses. Like there are... Was, that, that doesn't... Again, as a total layperson, that doesn't strike me as like what I would have guessed. But mm -hmm. again, you know, like as you mentioned a couple... Like, not my thing. So I'm not saying that anyone else right. it. Like, it's just like, that is wild to me. Exactly. I mean, well, when you've got, you know, tens to dozens of millions of years of time to just sort of play around. <laughs> yeah, well, right. Um, but so there, there are other features, like there are sort of like flaps of like exoskeleton that some, you know, insects use that, that aren't very good at flying, uh, use as sort of like parachutes, even because even though, yes, they can survive a fall from really high, if it stuns them a little bit, they could still get eaten. So they still want to fall relatively slowly. Right. Um, so some people kind of thought, okay, maybe that was where wings came from. Something similar to that. But those don't have musculature with them. They're just sort of like drag flaps on a plane. Hmm. So it's... That intuitively might make a little more sense. But when you get into the actual anatomy, not as much. Because there's, there's no muscles to them. There's no joint to them. So it's, it's, and I, I, I want to say that there's another hypothesis out, out there as well. Cause I think, um, so we very commonly, and we, as in, you know, like scientists in, in labs and things like to play with, uh, fruit flies. Cause they can reproduce really quickly. And so you get lots of generations all at once. Exactly. So, um, but not just that, that's, that's why we understand fruit fly genetics really, really well. But I think pretty much anyone who's taken like a genetics class in college uh, has played around with fruit, fruit flies a little bit. But because we've because we've used them for so many experiments and things, for those reasons that you said, just such a short lifespan and such a quick regeneration cycle, mm -hmm. um, we understand their genetics extremely well. And because of that, we can tinker a bit because we know what every gene does. And so it is actually quite easy to actually not turn the wings quite into legs, but with just a very small tweak, they sort of turn into sort of a jointed appendage similar to legs. They don't have like the foot 
on them that insect legs do. Right. Um, but it is like a three jointed appendage like insect legs. So there, that's also another thought that maybe, you know, insect ancestors had eight legs instead of six. And one of them turned into wings. Huh. Wh- which of those makes more sense? I have no idea. So the, the, basically the, the takeaway from all this is that, you know, not only do you and I, but like the scientific community itself doesn't have a great grasp on how insects, you know, insects got, uh, you know, got flight. That is definitely right. Um, There's a lot of hypotheses, you know, some of which make plenty of sense, other of, w- of which blow my mind, but, <laughs> you know, we're, we're trying to, we're trying to figure it out. It's a work in progress. Exactly. And that sort of wraps up flight. This was a very, very quick and dirty, even though this is probably one of the longer episodes that we have. Um, each of these groups individually is so incredible. And actually, because I had mentioned how diverse the other three groups were and sort of just mentioned offhandedly that insects were the majority of animals, um, I don't think I actually gave a number to that unless I'm mistaken. I didn't, I don't remember. So even if you did, by all means. So currently there are around a million species of insects described and like given a name and everything. Right. In reality, we probably estimate there's around, but somewhere between 6 million and 10 million species of insects. And how does that relate to the total number of animals? Um, Again, we don't even pretend that we have everything described or really Mm -hmm. close but i would say if there are six million species of insects i would say there are probably somewhere between nine and ten million species of animals total wow (laughs) yeah so on average so many little bugs and like the by far the most diverse group of insects are beetles like statistically the average animal is a beetle (laughs) <laughs> yeah let, let that let that sink in a little bit oh it's, it's never gonna sink in. <laughs> <laughs> just the way you phrase not not like you know if you pick any animal at random it's likely to be a beetle but the average animal is a beetle i love yes. that Insects are so incredibly weird and diverse, and I hate them because I don't understand them, but also love them at the same time. Oh, the love-hate relationship is sometimes what I have with you, Gavin, because sometimes you make me feel <laughs> stupid, but most of the time you just make me love this planet and love everything around it and mostly love you, which is exactly what I like to hear. Is there any other mind-blowing stuff you have for me today, or are we going to wrap this up? Not off the top of my head. I mean, I know I don't know about you. I personally would love to have the kind of muscles that allow me to just like do push-ups and launch myself six feet into the air, like like a pterosaur. Uh, I would like to have personally. muscles that let me do you know Anything. more than a couple push-ups at a time. <laughs> but uh, moving moving on from that, I would love to one of these days. I don't know if we've ever done it, but I'd love to go like parasailing or even just skydiving. I've just... I've been para um sailing the one where they tow you behind a boat oh no I, that's uh, i'm sorry not parasailing paragliding where like mm, you okay get, like the yeah those things i would love to um i'd love to do that just to just to experience what it's like you See, know for me I, I i really really want i don't think i ever will just because i feel like it would require much training and i don't have time for that 
Um, but I want to, I really want to use one of like the wing suits where you like skydive yes. with like the membrane that goes from like your wrist to your waist on each side. And then like the, the membrane between each of your legs. I would love to mm-hmm. do that because I mean, Ab- that's absolutely, that is absolutely gliding. Like there's no powered flight to that, but mm-hmm. that is, that I think is truly as close as you can get to actually flying. Because yeah, would, with with like a hang glider, like you're controlling it and stuff, but it's not like you, you know. Right. The closest I'm ever going to get to flying is you know, wearing one of those suits or whatever. So one of these days, I would love to. I'd love to do something like that that involves me just being in the air for a prolonged period of time, even if it's just skydiving. Fine. Like I. Same. It's a thing I want to try. Absolutely. Um. But yeah. So I guess in closing. If you would like us to talk at length about any of these groups, please make sure to fill out the form down in the uh, down in the show notes. We'd really appreciate it. Absolutely. And this has been episode 21 of I Wish You Were Dead. Our podcast is now legal to drink, and we are going to continue having a lot of fun things coming up in the, uh, in the weeks ahead. So, Gavin, thank you very much, and we will see all of you guys next Wednesday. Absolutely. This episode of I Wish You Were Dead was written by Gavin Davidson and hosted by Gavin Davidson, Mike Bryson, and Fenella Campanino. It was sound edited by Mike Bryson and edited for YouTube by Gavin Davidson. Special thanks to former guests of the pod and to listeners like you. 